0: Y'all ready to get in the Book of Proverbs? Yes. How many of you uh, read ahead and know where we're going to be this time? Did you read ahead? It's going to be a pleasant surprise. We are going to have fun this morning. Our text is Proverbs five, fifteen to twenty-three. You can turn there, and if you have a blue Bible, we provide for you. It's on page five thirty. So basically what we're going to do this morning is we're going to pick up where we left off last time. We covered the first half of chapter 5. We looked at verses 1 to 14. And this morning we're going to look at the remaining verses, 15 to 23. And In the first part of the chapter, we, we were warned about the forbidden woman, the seductive adulteress. We were warned about her. She's a serious moral threat. And we saw that God's wisdom for us is to avoid her at all costs. To keep far away from her. And as we look at the second part of this chapter, we're going to see that not only should we get as far away as possible from the forbidden woman, but we need to get as close as possible to our wife. Embracing her and enjoying the godly delights of marital intimacy. In other words, we're to flee from the charms of the forbidden woman And run into the arms of our wife. And really, as I said, when we go through these these passages that are addressing the the young men, uh, the young male, and and Solomon's giving his son wisdom for life, uh, this can be uh, taken the other way as well. So, ladies, this is just as applicable for you to flee from the charms of the adulterer and run into the arms of your spouse. So, let's read starting in verse 15. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. So in this passage, we clearly see that sex is a wonderful gift from God that according to His design is to be enjoyed between a husband and a wife within the sacred bond of marriage, within the boundaries of their marriage relationship. This passage opens up with with a series of water metaphors now obviously, Solomon's not talking about the. Uh, also, talking about the importance of staying hydrated or or conserving water. Although, you know, I mean, we know about the importance of water conservation in Southern California. But he's not talking about that. This entire chapter is a warning against the temptation to commit the sexual sin of adultery. It shows the foolishness of, of sexual indulgence outside of God's design for it. So when we come across these water metaphors, we understand that what Solomon's talking about here and what he's using them for uh, is to make a point about sexual indulgence. But what exactly are they referring to? That's the question. How are we to interpret them properly? The answer to that question, I would say, is, is found in the verses that immediately follow. What, he, what Solomon says in verses, basically picking up in the middle of verse 18 through verse 20. In these verses, we clearly see that the point Solomon's getting across is that his son is to get his sexual gratification exclusively from his wife and not from some other woman. That's that's the clear point in those verses. And so when we keep that in mind, we can look at these metaphors and properly understand the meaning of them. Verse 15, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. See, water in these illustrations represents sexual love. It's sexual love. And Solomon's telling his son that he should be getting this sexual love from his own private water source. In other words, he's to get all of his sexual refreshment and enjoyments from his wife. And then in verses 16 and 17, he says, should your springs be scattered abroad? Streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. So, like a cistern, which is do you know what a cistern is? It's basically, a pit, a res- water reservoir, something that's dug out in the ground to collect water. Like a cistern and a well, springs and streams of water are sources of water, they're water sources. However, in the scenario that's given here in verses 16 and 17, in verse 16, the question he's asking, they are public rather than private possessions. Do you see that? That's, that's the main idea. That's the main point. They are scattered abroad. and They are in the streets. And the word that's translated that literally mean, it means in the open plazas, in the town squares, in the busy public places. So what Solomon is essentially asking here is, should your source of sexual refreshment be outside in the public sphere where it's not your own private source, but one that is shared with other men? It's outside the marriage relationship, outside the home, and in the public where it is shared with others. He's asking, should your source of sexual refreshment be out there? the outside. In other words, should you get your sexual gratification from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress who's made her body to be public property because she offers it to men outside of marriage, shares it with others. In chapter 7 of Proverbs, Solomon says this about the adulteress, the forbidden woman. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the markets, and at every corner she lies and waits. The Hebrew words that are translated as street and market are the same words that he's using in verse 16. They're just translated differently. Same words, though. So look at 16. Should your springs be scattered abroad or in the street? Streams of water in the streets or in the open plazas? Should your source of sexual refreshment be in the public sphere, outside of your home, outside of your marriage? Should you get your sexual gratification from a woman who's not your wife? A woman who does not belong to you but offers herself to many men? The obvious answer? No. No. Verse 17, he says, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. In other words, Your source of sexual refreshment should be yours alone, your own private possession that you have exclusive access to. The only woman that fits this category is your wife. So, that goes for everyone, even if you're single, because you don't have a wife, so therefore it would be your wife-to-be. The one who would be your wife one day, and you would be able to have her in the bonds of marriage to enjoy. So we need to have a, a high view of sex, and that's why this passage is so important. We need to have a high view of sex, and by that I mean we need, to, we need to view it and treat it as something that's sacred and not common. God designed sex to be the greatest and most delightful expression of intimacy and joy between a husband and a wife. It's a beautiful thing. God created sex to be enjoyed between a man and a woman in the bond of marriage. It's not just the means by which a a husband and wife can produce offspring. It's the means by which a husband and wife can can joyfully experience the closest form of intimacy and strengthen the bond of their relationship. It It is a Bonding experience. It's intimacy. It's not just a a means of physical pleasure. To indulge in sex outside of marriage, to have sex with anyone other than your spouse, is to pervert God's design for it. It's to tarnish that. It's to treat it as something common and not as something sacred. So Solomon has illustrated for his son that he should get all of his sexual refreshment and enjoyment from his wife who belongs to him and him alone. That's the meaning of those metaphors. That's the point he's making. Now look at verse 18. He says, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. And the blessing that's mentioned here, now we've talked about the word blessed and in some passages the word that's translated as blessed it actually just is referring to the state of blessedness, a state of happiness. This is a different one that still has the same idea, but it's referring to the actual act of blessing and being a recipient of that blessing. And the blessing here refers to the direct blessing of God. So you can... You can Feel blessed, feel happy about a number of things. It doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's some direct blessing of God, but you can use that expression for a number of circumstances. But the blessing that's referred to here is always referring to the direct blessing of God. Let your fountain be blessed. You will experience divinely blessed sexual gratification when you get it exclusively from your wife. Can I get an amen? Amen. No greater sexual satisfaction can be found than that which comes from your wife because only her dispensing of this refreshment will be blessed by God for you. That's an important thing to remember. There's there's no greater satisfaction you have. No other source would be divinely blessed. Your wife is for you. There's no blessing on sex outside of that which is enjoyed between a husband and wife and a lifelong commitment of marriage. And again, I, I hope you all assume, I want to assume that when we say marriage we mean the lifelong commitment. One man, one woman cleaving together, one flesh for life. What, what comes together, what God joins together, let not man separate. That's God's plan. That's God's Design. So Solomon tells his son, verse 18, to rejoice in the wife of his youth. When it comes to marital faithfulness, God's wisdom, it's, it's not just that we, we should avoid sexual temptation of the forbidden woman. His wisdom for us is also that we should dive headlong into the sexual delights of our wife. That's wisdom. One commentator says this, the son is challenged to find satisfaction from sexual intimacy with his wife clearly to fortify him against the enticements of the evil woman. Keep in mind the context of his chapter. He's talking about the danger of the forbidden woman, the, the danger of her allurements, her, her smooth words. And he tells his son, you, you avoid her at all costs. You don't, you don't try to Uh, try to be strong in her presence, you avoid her altogether because you're not as strong as you think you are. And the other side of that instruction is that you don't just avoid her altogether, but you delight in your spouse. Get your refreshment from your spouse. It will fortify you against those temptations. Verse 19. He says, Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Verse 19. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, a lovely deer, uh, the second word refers to not a deer, but a, it's a graceful ibex. Do you know what an ibex is? I like that term, but I mean mountain goat, but ibex is more of a graceful term. That species. We—we uh, we, I, I do have some pictures for you. Okay. Aw, see? Do you see? Yeah, so sometimes imagery, animal imagery, imagery is used to in a complimentary way of, of, uh, of a, a man and woman. And, and so you can see that. I mean, we can all agree that these are graceful creatures, right? That these are lovely creatures. They're, they're elegant creatures who are known for their lovely appearance and graceful movement. So th- there's a deer, the next one. There's an ibex. So you, you see what I'm saying? I mean, mountain goat, you might, you might have a not so great image, but, you know, it's still a graceful creature. And you can leave that up there while I'm talking about these things. Um, These elegant creatures. All right, known for their lovely appearance and graceful movements. Yes, form and agility. They are also regarded as symbols of life and joy. Because of their ability to survive and even demonstrate a wonderful liveliness in the midst of their wilderness habitats. You see the background there? That doesn't look so safe or pleasant. It's barren, it's dangerous in this wilderness, and yet you have this graceful creature that thrives and is very lively in the midst of that environment. So these creatures are symbols of life and joy. Solomon associates the wife with life and joy. Whereas the forbidden woman, if you remember earlier in the passage, he associates with bitterness, and death. You can take them down now. A lovely, dear, a graceful doe. So the sexual love of your wife is a, is a powerful counterforce to the sexual enticements of the adulteress. Keep that in mind. Her love is a powerful counterforce against those enticements. Now, in 19, he goes on. Now for the metaphors. Solomon goes on, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. The Hebrew verb that is translated as fill here in the ESV is translated as satisfy in most other translations. It literally means to give, to drink abundantly or to refresh. Refresh. The Hebrew text in in this part of the verse literally says, let her breasts refresh you. At all times. Let her breasts refresh you at all times. So what we have here, we have more water imagery, don't we? And this is again referring to sexual refreshment. And that's why the ESV translates it this way. It attempts to capture this idea by saying, fill you with delight. And just that picture of refreshment Again, when it's used of a person, it's saying to give, to drink abundantly, to refresh. It's also used of, you know, if you're going to, to, uh, to water the fields, you know, you're to drench them. That's the imagery, drench. It's total abundance. You know, it's kind of like when I'm thirsty, which I am right now. You know, I'm not just going to take a sip of water. I'm not going to do it, but I can, you can picture when people are dying of thirst, And they're so thirsty, you know, they're not just like, it's good, you know, they're just like, ah, ah." that's the picture, you know, just drink, drench yourself, be drenched with delight by her love. You get that? I I don't want you to miss that. Now notice the phrase at all times. Uh, That's important, right? At all times. This means that Whenever the husband's thirsty, he should go to his wife for total refreshment. (laughs) Thus saith the Lord. (laughs) (laughs) This also means this also means that the wife's so not only should the whenever the husband's thirsty, he should go to the wife for refreshment, go to her. You have your, your own well, this blessed fountain, go to her. This also means that the wife's sexual love should always be available for her husband. Got quiet. <laughs> Not just occasionally. This is just as much a, a command to the wife as it is to the husband. Cuz obviously he can he can't be refreshed unless I mean it takes two to partake, right? So it, it really is a, a wisdom for both the husband and wife. He must always go to her for refreshment, not to any other source, not to any other person or any other thing, not to a computer or anything. It should be to her and her alone. And she must always give him refreshment. And by the way, like I said, the the scenario goes both ways. It goes both ways. Both the husband and the wife, they're to be for each other an unending source of complete sexual satisfaction. This is not a suggestion. It's not, it's not optional. It's not something you opt out of. It's your responsibility to your spouse. A loving responsibility and a privilege. Because, think about that, you serve one another in this way, but you also will get delight in that act of service. This is part of God's design for marriage. A marriage that lacks passion a romance, Marriage that lacks, lacks sexual fulfillment, it's not a God-honoring marriage. It's not. Because you're not, you're, not, you're not viewing and treating sex the way God designed it to be viewed and treated. And you're not being a source for your companion for life, a, a source of delight for them as God has called you to. So the instruction to sexually satisfy one another at all times is echoed in the New Testament. I would say one of the best passages, clearest passages to go to is 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7, and I'll just, we'll just look at verses 2-5, through 5, which the Apostle Paul, God through the Apostle Paul, says this, Because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. That phrase conjugal rights literally means pay what is owed. Pay what is owed. The husband should pay what is owed to the wife. Give her her conjugal rights. Pay what is owed to the wife and likewise the wife to her husband. It's owed to them. Did Paul really say that? Oh, he did. Sexual love and marriage. I, I'll pause for a second just to make this comment. Sexual love and marriage—it's—it's it's not a form of, of compensation. It's—it's it's not something that your spouse has to earn for you. It's like, do you uh, take out the trash and uh, do the things that? All righty then, we can. Uh, I I will be waiting for you in the bedchamber. Um, <laughs> it, it, you know, you don't. It's not something that you comp- it, form A form of compensation where they have to earn it. Remember, Paul said it's it's owed to them already as your spouse. Nor is sexual love a, a bargaining chip. It, it's not yours. It's not yours to withhold. To withhold and use as leverage to get something you want from your spouse. And can we imagine that scenario probably happens a lot. But that's, that's a worldly view of sex. That's not, that's not God's wisdom. Sexual love is the God-given Right of both spouses, of both. Husbands and wives have every right to get it from one another and no right to withhold it and no right to get it from any other source. Verse 4, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 4, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. You know, we, we hear that excuse, lot. it's my body. Do what I want. You know? You should feel privileged if I decide to use my body this way for you. No, he, he says, In marriage, one man, one woman become one flesh. You belong to each other. So, husbands, you say to your wife, I'm like, That's my body. And wives to your husband, that's my body. It's shared together. Right? verse 5 do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer this is the only time sexual relations may be put on hold in marriage it must be mutual it must be mutual don't miss that the time must be short limit limited time and it must be for the purpose of devoting yourself to prayer Uh, So a spiritual reason to devote yourself to prayer. This may be because of a great spiritual burden or or grief or serious illness. I mean, it includes those things. So it would be mutually agreed upon to abstain for a a short period of time so that you can bring those things to just come before the Lord and, and, and be more devoted to Him in prayer regarding those things. But Paul says you limited it. And even if you do that, then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So remember that exception. You know, it's not, not I'm, uh, I'm a little tired, honey. Uh, I got some things on my mind. Now's not really a good time. Um, you know, the, the little excuses like that, they're, they're, they're not they're not really good. I mean, you wouldn't use those excuses for other responsibilities, would you? I don't really feel like mm, I don't really feel like it right now, or I'm tired. You know, you have a lot of responsibilities that you feel that uh, you fulfill that you sometimes you emotionally aren't there just yet. But of course, if the husband and wife are serving one another in this way, they will be come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. If we're not receiving sexual refreshment from our spouse, then we are at a greater risk of falling into temptation. I mean, This is pretty practical, what Paul's saying. I mean, this isn't uh, for a select few. So if we're re- not receiving that refreshment, we are at greater risk. And if we're not giving sexual refreshment to our spouse, then we are causing our spouse to be at greater risk re- uh, risk of falling into temptation. Think about it that way. Withholding is you have a hand in in putting your spouse in a situation of being at greater risk of sexual temptation. Would you really want to do that? You love your spouse. So if you truly love one another, you won't deprive one another. By the way, when you fulfill this delightful responsibility, this act of love to your spouse, do it joyfully from the heart. Don't do it reluctantly for God loves a cheerful giver. (laughs) Yes, I totally stole that from 2 Corinthians 9, which is talking about money. (laughs) The principle's the same, is it not? Give your sexual love to your spouse joyfully from the heart. Don't do it reluctantly, for God loves a cheerful giver, and your spouse wants a cheerful lover. Husbands, rejoice in your wives. Rejoice. That's the command. Rejoice. Rejoice. In your wife, wives, rejoice in your husbands. Do not just rejoice in receiving, but rejoice in giving. You're commanded to, commanded to lovingly serve one another in this way. <clears throat> rejoice in the wife of your youth. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. The rest of verse 19 be intoxicated always in her love. Be intoxicated always in her love. The Hebrew verb translated as be intoxicated literally means stagger. Lose your ability to walk straight. There we go. In the literal sense, obviously, this this is referring to the effect that wine will have on you when you drink it in excess, right? You drink too much alcohol. You become intoxicated. You lose your ability to walk straight. And here, obviously, Solomon's using the verb in a a figurative sense. The substance, not wine. The substance is the sexual love of the wife. And Solomon's saying that he should not only be fully refreshed and satisfied by his wife's sexual love, but that he should also be exhilarated and intoxicated by it. All right. Um, One commentator says this. the father admonishes that inhibitions be left behind in the marriage bed. He encourages that. The sexual love between a, a husband and wife should be unrestrained. Nothing should be held back. In the marriage bed, passion and desire should be let loose and run wild. Imagine the, you know, picture that ibex loose and wild in the wilderness. <laughs> free passion desire right i told you we're having fun aren't we and you're like this is in the holy scripture yes this is the wisdom of god for us sexual pleasure is god's gift to a husband and wife amen it's absolutely a gift a gift that they are to completely enjoy together and use to its full potential why wouldn't you God not only blesses, but encourages unrestrained physical intimacy in marriage. In, in the Song of Songs, in, in chapter five, verse one, there is this statement. We have this 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 uh, situation where the the, the man and the woman, uh, the husband and wife, they have come to their wedding night, and it's time for full indulgence, expression of all these desires. And then there is this this third voice that comes in. That says this Eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. That's God's exhortation, his command, his encouragement. Be satisfied with one another, be drunk with love. So, given that all that Solomon said up to this point, then we look at verse 20. He asks, Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a, a forbidden woman? and embrace the bosom of an adulteress the question's obviously rhetorical no answer is expected there it's assumed that you know the answer it's it's ridiculous it's foolish it's absurd you have your own private divinely blessed source of sexual refreshment that you have exclusive and continual access to there's there's nothing better than that why should you go outside of your marriage Outside of God's blessing, to have sex with a woman who's not your precious wife. It's ridiculous. One commentator says, in view of the better way of conjugal bliss with the blessed wife, involvement with the unchaste wife is absurd. And Solomon gives this final warning to his son as to why he should not embrace the forbidden woman. Verse 21. For man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he's led astray. Solomon reminds his son that the Lord is watching. He sees and ponders everything. Everything that a person does. No matter how hard someone may try to commit sin in secret and try to keep it from being made known, the reality is that the Lord always knows, doesn't He? He always knows. Nothing can be hidden from His sight. If you choose to go outside the moral boundaries that God has established, then He will make sure that you reap the bitter and destructive consequences your sin in other words it will come back on your own head look at verse 22 and your own sin it will entrap you it will trap you it'll capture you it'll tie you down one commentator says that the husband who chooses to live promiscuously will eventually find himself bound trapped and tied up in the cords of his own sins Another commentator makes this point. While the, foolish, while the foolish man may take steps to hide his sordid affair from the eyes of others and may put all thought of God out of his mind, God's all-seeing eye is upon him, watching and observing, weighing and judging. But there is no thunderbolt from heaven to strike him down. Rather, By threading his path to folly's door, he's threading a noose around his own neck like a senseless bird weaving the net which will ensnare it. Rejecting God's wisdom and and indulging in the fleeting pleasures of sexual sin, it's self-destructive. It's always self-destructive. And it will lead you to ruin. In Hebrews 13.4, we just have this, this command to all. Let marriage be held in honor among all. High view, right? It's sacred. Let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and Adulterous. And one other passage in the New Testament says this, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3-6, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. So Solomon's ending of this lecture is with that warning, that God sees all. He has a design and a purpose For marriage, design and purpose for sexual love to be enjoyed within those boundaries between a man and a woman, and to go outside that, to pervert it, to somehow satisfy this lustful desire that you don't control, will result in destruction, ruin, consequences, and God will see to that. So, here's what we've learned from chapter 5 as a whole. As a whole, First this, we must have a high view of sex. We must view it and treat it the way that God does according to His Word, according to God's design. God created sex to be the greatest and most delightful expression of intimacy between a man and a woman in the lifelong bond of marriage. High view of it. It is sacred. It is not some common thing to be dabbled in. And it's so much more than just physical pleasure. It's intimacy. is a bond between a husband and wife. That's how it's intended. Number two, we, we must be aware of the destructive consequences of sexual sin. And seeking that fulfillment outside of the boundaries God has established will result in, as we read earlier in chapter 5 as well, tremendous loss, disgrace, bondage, and ruin. And the two primary commands of this chapter is To keep far away from people who would entice you to indulge in sexual sin. Particularly the sin of adultery, but really all sexual sin. And we are to get all of our sexual refreshment and enjoyment exclusively from our spouse. And I understand that not everybody's married. Some of you are single. But you learn God's wisdom. You become wise from this passage because you see. And you develop an understanding of sex the way God intended. And then that will equip you to save yourself for your wife, Lord willing, that he might bring into your life this woman that you will marry. But you want to honor God by controlling those passions until the time is right, and that's within marriage. So I'll say this one Exhortation to the men. We want you to be leaders in the church, and first, that starts with being leaders in the home, and we want you to exercise biblical wisdom in the home. So husbands, I say to you, rejoice in your wife. Let her breast fill you with delights, and let her love intoxicate you tonight. That is your application. Amen. Go to that picnic have some fun and then go apply Proverbs 5:15 to 18. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for not leaving leaving us in the dark regarding your intentions for for sex, for marriage in the the way that you've intended us to, to to use it, Lord. I pray that our church would, that we would be pure, that we would not be like the Gentiles who do not know God, those who don't know you and don't control our own sinful desires and our perhaps our own lusts, but that we would be self-controlled, that we would be holy. And Lord, I pray that we would have maintained this, this view because in our, our culture, we are so bombarded with, with an ungodly, perverted, twisted, distorted view of sex. May we view it as sacred. May we have a high view of it. And may we, we see Your wisdom in this, this passage that, that sexual sin is destructive, but that sexual love is, is within marriage is pure and wonderful. We pray that we would be armed and equipped, that we would flee from immorality and that for those who are married, Lord, that they would run into the arms of their spouse and delight in them and rejoice in them. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your wisdom in this matter. Amen.